Sure. We're live. Hello, everybody. Greetings. Nobody's watching. <laughs> so it's all good. Nobody, right. had to, nobody had to look at all that. <laughs> okay. So we're ready to have fun today? Always. How's your hair? Looks good. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't go that far. It's less shiny than mine. Your hair is shiny? No. Who, who That's could, the goal. Who could for tell? Hair to be shiny, right? Who could tell if the hair was shiny or not? Because See, of the goal from between. <laughs> it's rebellious. Uh, I have hard water, so I try to con combat it's, that. It's American. It's, it's decided to do its own it's thing. It's protesting. And... Sorry, too soon. Um, I have hard water, so I try to combat that, and it doesn't always work. Yeah. With like the horrible damage. That... So where's the? Oh, that's sticking on the side. So. You can see it still? No, I can't. Cause it, you can. Oh, I can when you do that. So it went there and back again. Oh, That's gosh. where we're doing it. So. Speaking of which, we should probably talk about... Let's sermon. do that, aside so, from my hair. Yeah. So as we're um, looking at Acts chapter 15 on Sunday, um, we were, we're looking at the, the idea of what happened here as... Uh, the gospel of grace was presented, and and then some uh, who maybe um, maybe believers who were misled, or as Paul describes them later, appear to be false believers who are deliberately leading people astray. Um, my guess would be that this is a mix; that there are some who are who are misled, uh, who actually have believed the gospel but have been. Um, discipled poorly or not not picked up on on the truth <clears throat> not devoted themselves to the apostles teaching i think we see that a lot in our in our world today where folks have um uh they have shallow faith mm -hmm. they have um received the gospel at least in some form but have not put down deep roots and are not concerned with doctrine and and development uh of right thinking which inevitably leads to bad practice uh, as it comes along and, and i think we're seeing that throughout our world but then we also have false teachers today just as they did then folks who see this movement to growing and want to jump in on it uh, so they see the miracles they see the the different things that have taken place and and so they become um at least by outward appearance christ followers uh, in fact, we were just talking about this in Pilgrim's Progress uh, last week. In in Mr. Interpreter's house, there is a man in a cage who uh, is is imprisoned. He's bound in this cage and basically is at a state where you know he says, "I I can't repent. I'm not what I once was. What what were you once? Well, I was what I had been was a uh, a professing believer, and I was convinced that I was a believer. I did all the things, and everybody around me was convinced that I was a believer, and they saw this, but not, not real, and, and trampled the blood of Christ underfoot. In very much the same way, we see these folks from Ju from Judea, the region uh, near uh, outside of Jerusalem, who have now come down to Antioch, uh, which tells you something, I think, that they have come from where they were down to Antioch, or up to Antioch, in, into Syria. So they've come to this this different place and a different group of people that they're not, at least apparently, connected with to teach them about the faith that they're just getting themselves. 
uh, and they're teaching something contrary to what the leadership is teaching. That's a bad scenario all the way yeah. around. So in this, uh, in this chapter, these folks who come down and, and lead them into a, a form of legalism, telling them that they need to, uh, all, all the believers need to follow the Jewish laws. You need to be circumcised, you need to go through these things. If you don't, you can't be saved because that's, that's how it works. That's right. <clears throat> and so these mean girls that have come down, uh, or more likely men, since women weren't allowed to teach in the church at that point, as they're coming, uh, coming. I keep saying down Jerusalem, south of there, but anyway. You can you, say you, whatever direction you, you want. You know I'm, I'm directionally about. challenged. So. And you know, if people are catching the audio, maybe they're not, maybe they have time to look at a map and they can <laughs> find it for themselves. So anyway, they they uh, come into sharp di- dispute and debate with uh, Paul and Barnabas. They uh, go as delegates from the church up to the leadership council uh, in Jerusalem to the elders and the apostles. And as they uh, go up there to address this, to say, you know, hey, this is what these folks are teaching. You have a ruling on this. Uh, Paul makes clear later, especially in Galatians, that he's not coming to ask their opinions. (laughs) It's it's not a matter of whether this is right or not. It is. He's seeking the authority uh, as basically a stamp of approval, which is what they, they give. But Paul's like, the gospel is the gospel. I received this from Christ. I don't need some human approval on it. And yet still submits to the authority of the elders as he's doing it. As they're, as they're going through this, they, uh, Peter stands up and says, you know, absolutely, you know, think of what just happened here a couple of chapters ago. He's not talking in terms of chapters, but, you know, what, what just happened as God chose me from among you all to go and, and give the gospel to the Gentiles which is not Peter's primary thing, but he was the initial uh, mover of that. And, uh, and this grace that God gave to us was by his grace only, not, he gave the Holy Spirit to these Gentiles, he accepted them just as they are. We believe that we're saved by grace. We believe that they're saved by grace. It's all by grace. Uh, Paul and Barnabas tell the, the group of people that are there, Everything that's happened, they give this report on how the Gentiles are responding, how God is responding with the Holy Spirit in all these cases. And uh, and then James uh, says, here's what we're going to do. He's the leader of, of the group. Uh, he's the leader of the club that's made for you and me. I was going to go with and leader of the pack. But... He is the leader of the pack. He's all of these things. The half-brother of Christ, pastor of Jerusalem. Uh, it, it's, I, I find it... Uh, interesting and cool, not necessarily relevant to the text today, that uh, he's the half-brother of Christ, but because he's not one of the 12, you know, he's not considered an apostle with the rest of them. It's the apostles and James. And James and, James. and some of these uh, other guys who are there in leadership who are not apostles, uh, but are elders of the church, James, having converted after Christ's resurrection, uh, is sort of seen as the head. Mm-hmm. So he's outside of the 12 apostles and yet has this leadership role, which I, I just find interesting and, and curious. Uh, <clears throat> so he says, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send a letter out to all the churches. We'll start with Antioch. We'll send it out to the churches, letting folks know. So it's in writing. We got it clarified. And we'll send a, a, an in-person delegation to confirm it with Judas and Silas going down. But we want to let people know it's by grace. These folks that are getting you worked up, they're not from us. They're not authorized by us. Uh, but 
you don't have to worry about trying to meet everybody's expectations and fall into line with the old covenant law. Rules. Just do this, you know, be smart, you know, don't eat, you know, meat sacrificed to idols that's been strangled so has the blood in it, uh, you know, stay away from sexual immorality. And, you know, you do those things, you know, we'll be straight. And basically, the same thing that we see here, and Paul will, will say this in his letters later, uh, Jesus said it in the Gospels pretty clearly, is that if you are, if you are growing in grace, if you are walking by the Spirit, you don't have to worry about the details of the rest of it because the, the life of Christ in you coming out of you will keep you away from the, the stupidity of immoral living or unrighteous living. If you love God more than anything else, then the things of the world don't have the same pull. Mm-hmm. If you love people as much as you love yourself, then you're not going to do harm to someone else. So all the rest of the law is going to be fulfilled in that. Um, but they really emphasize this point that the religious rituals are not the point. So anyway, to kind of walk through what we talked about, the core reality is that Christianity is not a religion to be practiced but a reality to be lived. Um, and I was just thinking about this uh, this morning as I was listening to the Christian History Almanac and uh, talking about some of the things that happened uh, in, you know, toward the end of the Spanish Inquisition and, and uh, the, as the, the, the Catholic Church is fighting against Reformation, getting a foothold in Italy, and they were able to do that. And some of the different things that happened, it's so very religious. It's yeah. so structured, and structure is not the right word. That's not what I really want to say. But you've added so much ritualism, so mm-hmm. much ceremonialism, uh, sacramentalism, a whole bunch of isms, so that you have a hierarchy and you have to wear the right clothes. In the Catholic the right Church, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it was the Church at large up well, until that, yeah. that, that point. But we developed so much. It, it looked so much like human government and, and human regulation right. that it doesn't really look anything like what we see in the Book of Acts in I, the New Testament. I had to write an article the other day about um, why or what the Catholic Church's stance is on cremation, oh. and I never knew. That they were like totally against creation. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, because it, keep talking. I'm going to stand for a moment. Rich is going to stand for a moment. Okay. Uh, because uh, the uh, now now I lost my train of thought. Um, cremation. Yes, cremation, and why they were against it because basically of that Jesus's body was buried or entombed, uh, and so that they believe that's how everybody's should be. Um, but there was all this ritualistic stuff that need that is supposed to go on with a with a Catholic burial, and they have to be buried in a certain place in a certain way, and they don't even necessarily like people to be buried in the ground. It should be in these monument type things. Yeah. Um, so it's just kind of a little sidebar. But what what you're talking about with all the really sorry Instagram ritualistic stuff, Instagram just got a little seasick. But. Um, that that struck me as kind of as, as what you say. It's all just very. There's all these rules that you have to follow and things you can and can't do. Right. Um, so yeah, that just kind of struck me, and I think that when I obviously I don't know much about you know all the religions of the world, but I do know a little bit about Catholicism, going to a Catholic college, and it does seem very. There are so not much many like rules. the Book of Acts, right? Yeah, yeah, and and there are reasons for that, and. and uh, I will say in defense of some of that, 
which I... I'm not trying to knock on the Catholic Church. And I'm not in the position to defend it because I think all of it is heretical and and apostate as far as that particular element goes. Not talking about cremation versus burial, but but the ritualism versus grace. Right. But when we are looking at it, most of these things have, like... Like any lie has a kernel of truth. If you want mm-hmm. it to be effective, mm-hmm. there are most of these things come from a place of here's what the Bible says, or here's what we and see, here's, here's truth, right. and then we need to adjust that to make it fit our brains, and then we end up with with religious practice. You know, we, we have right. to do these things. We have to we have to fit this mold. We have to work into it, which is exactly the opposite of everything that we're seeing in the New Testament. It's actually the opposite of the Old Testament. However, the Old Testament um, can be a little confusing because of the fact that you're under that Old Covenant. So there is, you've got a sacrificial system. There's a lot of ritualistic looking things. There's a difference between ritual and ritualism. There's a difference between uh, tradition and traditionalism. And, and tradition isn't bad. Ritual isn't bad. Cer- ceremony isn't bad. When you make those isms in there, when it becomes uh, a ruling principle, something that, that consumes your mind and, and drives what's going on, then we've gotten outside of grace and we've missed the gospel with that. So with these guys, they're they're countering that. And I think this is a rather pivotal, as if there's a part of scripture that isn't, but this is a rather pivotal place in the book of Acts. It's the church is beginning to develop. We, we've been seeing this since chapter six. They run into some problems because as the church grows, they can't distribute the food with the same uh, governing structure they had before. Mm-hmm. It starts out totally organic. It's just the 12 apostles. And they're kind of doing everything. They're doing the physical ministry, the the teaching ministry, the prayer ministry. They're doing all these things. Well, it outgrows them, and they can't do it. So through prayer and, and the wisdom of God, uh, they select men full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit to handle the physical ministry so that they can focus on the, the ministry of prayer and the Word. Well, that growth led to conflict which led to a better way of doing things and an increased development we're seeing that again here it's been kind of moving in this direction where now you've got churches spread throughout the throughout the mediterranean you know you're going from you know now you're in uh you've gone from jerusalem into syria and now you're over in in uh, you know even in in turkey what we would see as turkey today and it's going to continue to expand. Well, as you do that, you need to have some sort of structure to be able to keep things operating. And we've experienced right. that here at Real Life in in our short history, going from uh, a real organic sort of thing where you know it was seven of us adults and whatever money we had in our pockets. Let's go down to Radio Shack and grab a microphone, you know, do what we got to do. Meeting in an elementary school, setting up and tearing down every week, to meeting in a hayfield, to meeting in a storefront that was rented. And as we, in each of those stages, it changed our dynamic of how we operate. And we knew at a certain point that needed to be less pastoral driven and more uh, more driven by a plurality of elders. Um, and so over time, we, we moved to that. Now we have a a, a council of overseers or a board of elders, uh, we call them overseers here, who are overseeing the, the work of the church. And we still are in the process now of trying to develop more because we 
we have outgrown our structure. And so that's natural. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened in the development of the church over the first 1,000, 1,500 years is things continued to develop. And as it became a worldwide movement, then things, we like the idealism of, well, it just needs to be organic, just me and Jesus, and we're going to do our own thing. Life doesn't function that way. There's right. no area of life where anarchy is good. That doesn't happen in nature. Nature, no matter what people will say, is not anarchistic. It, it, it is a system, a series of authorities and submissions throughout. And so um, human dynamics are, are very much like that. And so we see by God's grace and his sovereignty that that develops in the church. But then we allow that to start twisting toward human governance rather than spiritual governance. And that's where we get off track. That's starting to happen here. And we're here today. We're there today. Absolutely. Well, we see that around the world where there's a lot more religion and church than there is true Christianity. That's the same dynamic that that led to the Reformation in the 1500s. So as they're uh, as they in, in you know the early 1500s and then continuing through that century and into the next, there as soon as the reformers shook things up and brought things back to scripture and the five solas, you know, uh, that were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, uh, according to scripture alone. How is that? Four? Five? Mm -hmm. What have I lost here? For the glory of God alone. So anyway. uh, I'm glad you just look at your hand. Yeah, I don't know what I said. (laughs) Anyhow, as as soon as they get to that place, as soon as Luther shakes things up, as soon as, you know, the the, the Zwingli and, and the rest of these guys, and later Calvin, as soon as they get to this place, it immediately begins to develop human ritualism again. And, mm-hmm. and it's a constant battle. So the the idea of semper reformanda, that the church is constantly reforming, that we need to be ever reforming, that's so true. And we're seeing that in the book of Acts, that we can't just be static. There, you know, That mm-hmm. static becomes stagnant. And, and, and wow. inevitably, the, the nature of living in a fallen world with an enemy working hard to attack our thinking working hard to wreck the church, wreck our relationships. We're, if we're not actively reforming, actively seeking God and, and striving to get, to keep, to get, to make things align with the gospel and the truth of God's word, they will of themselves naturally go sideways. That, right. That's you know spiritual entropy, just like we see in the physical. Because when you world. go stagnant or static or whatever other s word you want to throw out there, uh, it's it's far it's much easier, I think, to get distracted and get tugged a certain way, and you're not on your game. I mean, we've talked about that before. You know, if you are in a good place, really, in your life, um, everything's going fine, everything's great. You probably and I'm guilty of this constantly, you're probably less likely to reach out to God or, or make it a priority, I guess. Yeah. Um, but when you're in times of trouble or, or turmoil or you need something or you want something or whatever, then you're praying all the time and you, you, you crave that, you want that. Uh, but if you're just kind of going with the flow of everything, I think you're less likely to have a passion to make sure that you're doing the right things. That's true in so many areas right, of life right. too. You know, and... So all of it relates back to itself and to one another. And I think as we see 
what these guys are doing here in, in Acts 15, it, it fits so well, like you said, stuff that we are seeing today that we go through. And so we, the devil does love to keep us on a pendulum. So we go from one extreme to another. The one thing the devil doesn't want is for us to, to be smack in the middle of, of truth and right. grace and, and find the balance that, that keeps us in a healthy, healthy place. And so if we can be aware of the fact that our tendency will always be to swing from legalism to license and, and back again, we're going to continue to, to go from one extreme to the other. We need to be aware of that mm-hmm. and strive to keep that pendulum swing in the middle so that we're not, we're not taking that ride of extremes all the time. And, and that's kind of what what they do with this letter is look understand you were set free in christ so because you've been set free in christ like galatians 5 1 says it's for freedom that christ has set us free stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery now it's somewhat passive in acts 15 in the book of galatians and everywhere else that paul addresses this himself he gets passionate about it I mean, he's fired up, gets angry. He says to the Galatians, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You know, you started out right. You were running a good race. Somebody cut in on you Mm -hmm. and got you off track so that while you think you're doing something better, what you're doing is adding to the gospel. If you're adding to the gospel, you are destroying what God set up. It's interesting uh, uh, in just this morning on my walk, I was listening to the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, which is essentially a book of failure, so Joshua's huge victory, Judges primarily failure, and God keeps intervening, and the people keep going astray. And one of the things that that throughout the the first five books of the Bible and into the histories, we see God tell the people when they build a memorial or when they when they're making an altar to sacrifice to Him. Uh, they use uncut stones. Hmm. Just you take the stones that God made and you build your altar out of that. The pagans are going to use cut stones. And, and it's our tendency to make cut stones, to make it better. We want to improve on what God's done. And God, in calling them to this, there's a symbolism in it that th- this is not by your hand. It's not that you're crafting this. And that same truth applies to the church today. The church doesn't belong to me or to you or to to us. It does in the sense of belongingness, but not in the sense of ownership. God owns the church. It's his church. God does the doing. And just like with Gideon, you know, in in Judges, Gideon first feels like, you know, I'm I'm too small. I'm, you know, I'm nobody and I'm from a nobody tribe, from a nobody family. You know, there's no way I can do this. God says, I'm going to do this through you. And eventually he convinces Gideon to go and do it. So then Gideon goes and does it. And God says, no, 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 you don't get this. You've got too many people. You're 3,000 men or whatever it is you've got. It's too many. It's too many people. If you do this, the people of Israel will think they're going to boast to me later that they did this by their own strength rather than seeing this as what I'm doing. And that's a constant theme over and over again. So it's not surprising that he does that with Gideon. He does that with Moses and Joshua too in, in a different, uh, different details. But the whole concept is to, to get them to see, this isn't about you. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't call you because you're good. The gospel is an echo of what, or I, I should say the Old Testament law is a foreshadowing of what uh, we see in the gospel. So I guess the gospel then echoes what we would have read earlier. That God is doing the doing from Genesis on. God creates. When we sin, God restores. God creates a covering. They, they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. The failure, you know, that's not going to work. So God creates garments for them. God does that. They don't sew them. God does this. Uh, God continues to reach out to humanity while humanity continues to rebel. God reaches in with judgment uh, through Noah. But God rescues Noah. Noah doesn't do any of that. He builds the ark. God tells him how to do it. Does God need Noah to build the ark? No, but Noah needed to have a hand. God also in the process of Noah working is showing him, no, I'm the one that's doing this. Mm -hmm. I'm bringing the rain. I'm bringing the flood. I'm making the decisions. He gets out. He sins, of course, because sin's in him, so it comes with him. When God calls Abram, Abram wasn't looking for God. God called him out. And God continues later on through the prophets to say, you know, you, uh, you know, you think that this is about you. It's not. You were blind and poor and naked when I found you. This is not. I didn't choose you because you're strong and mighty or wealthy or good. Right. The opposite. When you think about others like like uh, David, hmm. and you think, kind <laughs> of conversations with my mom about this too. You know, he had a million wives and right. and whatever. And, but God chose him. Right. Lots of and failures. Went, right. If it was just based on David and what he did. Right. If this were, even then, in the Old Testament, if it were purely based on the perfection of your keeping the law, then even David, a man after God's own heart, was doomed. If you look at most of the major players or major characters in the Bible, a lot of them are failures in many yeah. ways. Yeah, I think... I mean, everybody is except for Jesus. I but... think other than Jesus, you're going to have a hard time finding somebody that doesn't have a negative thing recorded about them. There are, there are a few. Uh, John the Baptist... He's sure, not on right. the scene for a long time. He's not without sin, but right. we don't have recorded failures. Right. So there are there are some. I think Caleb. I don't know that you see you know recorded. But a lot from, of them, and and but, yeah, I don't want to say there's there's comfort in that. There's knowledge in that that you can't do it. I on don't your think own. that comfort's inappropriate. I think there is something in us that is comforted by identification with that. But well, when we can say you can't reach perfection, right? You know, I I know I'm no good. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I can try and fool myself into thinking that somehow I'm going to please God with my behavior. But if I'm if I'm even remotely honest, I know that that's just not mm-hmm. happening. I know my heart enough to know that. I know my selfishness and my pride, so I can spin it in some way to convince myself. But eventually, that's that's going to fail. I think the same thing rings true for your religion. I, I can say I'm a religious person. Yeah. I do all the things. I do what I'm supposed to do. I follow all the rules. And God laughs. Yeah. That's that's the thing. All of the all of the railings of the nations. All of our best efforts. Isaiah calls filthy rags. We can keep on doing this. God tells the Israelites at various points when their when their rituals were right, but their hearts were wrong. It's like get your sacrifices out of here. I don't I don't want your offerings. I don't want to hear your prayers. I reject all of this. I hate it. It smells like death to me. What I want is a heart for me. And when David repents in Psalm fifty one after his adultery, he <clears throat> says, you know, sacrifices. That's not what you're looking for. The sacrifice that pleases you is a contrite heart. Mm-hmm. 
And that is the gospel even then in the Old Testament. Well, I was just going to ask that. We only got a couple minutes left here. But I think it's easy because I, I was confused about it five minutes ago. Uh, the Old Testament does seem like a lot of ritualistic rules, very strict, specific sure. rules. Um, and then so it gets you thinking like, okay, <clears throat> did everybody that lived and died in that period of time, what ha- you know, what? Did you have this conversation with your mom? Because she asked me briefly. That, she asked me that question. But I was so, thinking, yeah. I've thought about it before, like all this stuff, and then Jesus, and it changed everything. And I realized it was a new covenant, and I realized all of that. Yeah. But then what happened to all these people? Because they were trying to do right. what they were supposed to do. So even then, would you say that it was still? how they were doing that was it a heart issue even then could they go through all of the things that they were told to do and and i, I don't know did anybody go to heaven back <laughs> well there, there's a constant balance that we see throughout scripture of it's probably the, not a good question to ask with two minutes left <laughs> of the believing and the doing and so in as much of a nutshell as i can can put it uh, for what we've got here the the obedience in the old testament just like in the new testament was a testimony to the faith that was inside if it was when it became ritualistic where you're obeying the the form of it but lacking power hmm. it's because your heart's not right because what it seems like it, is it is it is that it went from something very difficult to something very easy with the with Jesus, well, I mean, look at what we're seeing in Acts. There's nothing easy about well, right. it. Well, right, but so, I mean, looking at it from today's it, standpoint, but it is it's simplified, right, and yet harder hmm. because in removing the law, when you see like the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus says is all of this stuff that you learned that's still true, but I want to tell you it's more. Mm-hmm. It's not just that did you kill somebody? Mm-hmm. It's did you have murder in your heart? Did you have hatred inside that leads to murder? Because that's the seed. right? You're looking at the fruit and measuring that external part. But I'm looking at the inside mm-hmm. and that seed. And so that dynamic was always there. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Old Testament sacrifices and the specifics of the law pointed forward to Christ. So those are fulfilled in Christ because they serve their purpose as tutors, as governors to lead us to that place. Gotcha. The, the, the truth of redemption was foreshadowed in those things. It was foretold and then culminated in Jesus or is still culminating unto the judgment at the end. <clears throat> so that it, it's different and yet the same. Mm-hmm. It's a new covenant and yet at the same time, uh, God hasn't changed. And, okay. and, and really, humans right. haven't changed. Uh, but the picture that he was giving us of sin at that time was leading us to this place of grace. But even then, it still required grace. It, the, the sacrifices aren't what got you forgiveness. They were necessary to get to this place in repentance so that God would do, would do the forgiving. The, you didn't just you know, sacrifice a bull and you're forgiven. Right. You sacrifice the bull to God and God forgives. So at that point, it's still always on God. It's The obedience was required and it was pointing forward. And so in the New Testament, we read, um, uh, Paul talks about it, I think Hebrews talks about it as well, that, uh, that God um, in his forbearance, his patience left 
the sins committed beforehand, before the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, unpunished. And that he, he was delaying judgment, holding off judgment until the the fulfillment of this in Christ. Because let's be real, you sacrifice a bull, five minutes later you're going to sin again. And you're it's exactly what Paul sacrifice says. Sacrifice another bull. You know, it's exactly it's never... what Paul says. It's exactly what the writer of Hebrews says, that you know all of this stuff, it doesn't fix it. Because right. I'm right back in it again. Right. So I got to keep on doing it. The Old Testament priest had to keep on doing it. But Jesus is not only the sacrifice, but he is also the priest. Right. And when he offers the sacrifice on our behalf, the sacrifice of himself, that perfect sacrifice is done. He sits down having completed the work. So that's the difference between the old and the new. But with all of it, the, you know, we see them go through these different, um, different elements of the story all of which comes together to to remind us that Christianity is not a religion to be practiced, and and we get, you know, when we see Christianity as equivalent as as one of many, as an equivalent to Islam or or even to Judaism, uh, although, you know, a little bit, Judaism might be the most confusing of all in, in some ways, but that's a different conversation. Um, when we see, when we look at all the world religions and we put Christianity in among them. That That's always going to confuse us. It, that's harmful thinking because it's not equivalent. They're, they are religions with practices and beliefs that you cling to and you work out so that you can get to God. Christianity, which is the fulfillment of, of original Judaism, I, I would make a distinction between that and what's practiced today, but the Christianity and its predecessor, if I can use that term, is a claim of reality. All the gods of the world are false. Mm -hmm. There is one God. This is reality. All of your worship of pagan idols, foolishness, and empty it is nothing when paul looks back uh, not even looking back to the old testament but but looking at the world around him and in, in the physical idols that were worshiped in rome as he's addressing that it's like all these idols are nothing right. it's 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 meaningless it's pointless and and now in our enlightened uh, time of life we can see that you know you have a a sculpture of michelangelo's david okay that's David's not in there. It's, there's right. not, you know, there's no spirit in this. You know, if you see a statue of Zeus, you don't believe that that's Zeus as a god, and you're going to worship it. Right. So that's, you know, a little different it's, thing. It's but, art, but right, <laughs> and, and we don't think that. Right. However, we do worship things all the time oh, yeah. in false idols. But we've convinced ourselves that we're enlightened. When when Paul looks at that, he's like, these things are nothing. I don't put any weight on meat sacrifice to idols, because who cares? They're not real. There's nothing, you know, it's like when we talk about, you know, uh, ghosts or witches or whatever, you know, it's no big deal because it's not real. Well, some of it's more real than you know, but, you know, we tell kids all the time, monsters, are, Halloween monster, monsters aren't real, ghosts aren't real and all that kind of stuff. That's what Paul's saying about, about uh, idols. Although there are demonic entities that are promoting that, that are behind it. I'm, I'm crossing over and I don't want to do that but <laughs> interesting choice Christianity is not that mm -hmm. it's not 
you know, here's what you believe. Here's your checklist. Here's what you do. Here's your ritual. Be a good did you, boy you, or girl. Right. And, and that was one of the things that, that John Wesley struggled with is, as he's, you know, and, and not just Wesley, so many uh, folks who are like, wait a minute, you're, you're sitting here making your claim to righteousness based on your baptism and, and the fact that you're a member of the church, but there's clearly no evidence of this in your life. You don't know Christ at all. You haven't been born again. And I think today it's even more, it, it can even be worse because people can post things on social media yeah. and um, you can post whatever you want, but then you look how that person... And, it's so easy to judge people on social media one way or another. Mm. But you look at what someone is saying or posting and then you say, but that's not how they're living. Right. If you know them in, you know, in person, you know. Right. Even and, something as simple, and we've talked about this before, of, you know, I can't stand my whoever, my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister. Right. You know, constantly fine. I can't stand them. And then you post a Facebook thing. Of, right. Happy birthday to the most wonderful right. person in the world and all that kind of, like, wait a minute. That's right. hypocrisy. Something ain't right. But we do that. Right. You're right. We do that with our faith as well. And I see lots of people who wouldn't darken the doorstep of a church, who love to put, you know, christian quotes on, mm-hmm. on their social media. And, and I think that, that help is either. why Christianity often gets a bad rap. Because these among many other reasons. Well, but sure, yeah. but because non-believers will see somebody posting something like that, and well, hey, didn't I just see you getting wasted the other night, or you know, whatever. Yeah, without going too far into another right, thing, I, know I think got... that's very, very related to Jesus telling the demons not, you know, they have to be quiet. They're the people aren't recognizing for who he is. The demons do. They know right. who he is. Right. He's like, you shut your mouth. You're you're out of here, right. because that that bad association, that false association. Uh, it can be very misleading. So. Didn't mean to go off course there, but uh, that was what stuck out to me a little bit well, there. We, so. we did get there and we back again. Th- oh. Well, that's a good way to end it. We're going to stop there. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, I won't ask you for parting words because we're already over time. I will not My encourage Rich to talk anymore. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you.